0: yes we'll start this off so yeah hanging out at kiko is the perfect place to be this morning this is just it's beautiful out
1: perfect weather
2: yeah
0: and you kind of get the view of this thing i can't say what it is because i don't want to give a clue of our whereabouts but (laughs) um there's a well manicured lawn behind us so it's uh and uh some rails on the other side so it's uh it's pretty cool it's pretty nice here. But uh, anyway, so welcome back to the BMX in our blood. And I'm super psyched about this one. I'm psyched about all of them, but this one is everyone has a special meaning to me. And this episode nine is with, I want to call him DB4, but not everyone knows DB4. So this is Danny Bailey and uh, sitting in with us is uh, John Scavarla because we are sitting at Kiko trails. So first thing I wanted to say is, is this interviews close to me and I feel, you know, this is really like interviewing a, a true friend because Danny is a complete inspiration and just such a positive guy and has been just the most enthusiastic guy that I talk to, and will send the most uplifting messages at just the right time, and has been that way forever, and uh, including the time he called and pretended to be Gary Ellis when he called my house and I wasn't home. But uh, welcome, Danny, and I'm, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for doing this.
1: Thank you, Joe. It's an honor to uh, be involved with your podcast. I can't believe I uh, I got the call from you asking for me to do this, but I'm I'm honored, and it's great to have soups here, Long time friend. Nice.
0: Yeah, that actually really completes it. I you know I know we just did a soups podcast, but you can't get enough soups.
1: Oh, absolutely you know? not. For though we'll probably touch on it more. As this goes on, but Soups and I go back to elementary school. I mean, it's—I think it's rare sometimes you have a friendship that lasts so long, but it goes way back. I can't remember what year, but I just remember from day one of riding bikes. It was always with soups. always. Hey,
0: I know that year because I just interviewed the guy. It was—it was, <laughs> it was uh, actually. Do I know the year? It was in the late '80s. I think it was '88, 80, '89, maybe. Was it a7db? 87?
2: Yeah, that's probably it. I think you had uh, a, a Skyway, uh, what was the Skyway? It was the Skyway uh, with
1: the mags? The Skyway? Yeah. TA, maybe? No, no, it was like a Street style. I think. Yeah, was, oh. the Skyway Street Styler. Right? Yeah. I had the dyno detour. Yeah. Oh, so
0: you, you were influenced by Scotty Freeman or someone like that back then. Probably. I had the
1: Skyway, Soup's had the Dino. Justin DiPietro had the uh, Mike Dominguez um, Diamondback yeah. and Brian Collins I think had a uh, a Mongoose, I can't remember what type, but he had a Mongoose of some sort.
0: All bikes that were just perfect for BMX racing. <laughs> exactly, for
1: having fun. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing you. <laughs>
0: But uh, so yeah, let's roll right into it. Just give me a brief BMX history, uh, pre-trails, uh, just w- early years because trails is a whole nother level that comes in a little bit later. So give me that.
1: Well, my father was a big smoker, Marlboro lights in the box. That's all he smoked. And we had a local convenience store, stationery store called Levine's. And like most kids, boys, all I wanted to do was be around my dad. So I would usually go with him up to the convenience store when he would get us cigarettes. And there was all, they, they had a big magazine selection and they always had BMX Plus And I was always drawn to BMX Plus. And every so often, my dad would allow me to get the magazine and I would read it cover to cover cover to cover multiple times and that's what kind of sparked the interest then it's amazing how vivid the memory is remember it was my grandmother's birthday and the family was going out to eat and we were going down Seacliff at no excuse me Glencove Avenue and I saw a guy on a red cruiser pulling a wheelie, just going down the road, and I I was in awe, and my dad said, I know his father, we fished together, and it was Rob Morales. And so, we, a few days later, just by happenstance, we had to go to Belmore Floors, the uh, carpet place that Rob's parents owned, and we walked in, and there was just BMX trophies everywhere. And that's what kind of sparked the interest with riding and having a hero. I mean, when you're young like that, you kind of look up to people and you idolize people. And Rob was definitely that person for me. And then, I don't know how it is now with kids, but when I was growing up, I was forced to go to church. I was forced to go. And I can't speak for soups, but I think soups was kind of the same way. Yeah, definitely. And soups and I, I think, kind of met at church. And we had mutual friends, like a guy by the name of Mike Dubin, uh, Brian Collins, and we kind of just started from there. But other than Rob, nobody took it more serious than Soups and myself. Nobody. Huh, and so- that's kind of what, what got the, the interest and just the, 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 the passion for the sport going.
0: So that kind of makes me um, think a little bit about the time that you and, and Rabo spent together, and I'm sure you spent a ton of time with soups too, but as time went on through racing, you started to travel a bit with Bravo, and I know that because you guys would come up to my house and ride trails. So um, did that connection start to expand your view of BMX uh, through Rabo? Or did you do that on your own with, with guys like Soup's and
1: Well, I've listened to Soup's podcast multiple times now and he touched on I think a valid point in that Rob was definitely the catalyst to allow us to meet other people, but I'm almost positive that even if Rob was in the picture we would have definitely discovered BMX. But going back to your question, I can't answer in multiple ways. Like I had said, I idolized Rob. I loved Rob from that young age. But then from that as I got older, I no longer looked up to him. I no longer idolized him, which I think is a good thing because it grew into a, a legit friendship. I no longer looked up to him or any in any sense of the matter. He you was just, equals exactly yeah. and he was just yeah. a friend of mine. I mean Soup great friends with his parents and it was just great like that. And with that, that's when we would start to travel. I mean, I read, I rode your backyard. You, Jeff Allen, Greg Plasquette, the Olympian, Todd Wells. I yes. think you put a picture up on the internet of all of us driving there. I mean, and that did expand it past Rob because I traveled the country multiple times with Nuno Oliveira, Bill Dees, Bill Ferrante, and those... We would travel and we would stay at people's houses who we never even met. Never even met, but it was just from the mutual bond of riding BMX. 9-11 happened, and I received phone calls from Japan. Guys like Otaki, Makoto, saying, oh, we heard what happened in New York, we're so sorry. I mean, and that's from BMX. It's crazy that I can say that for the most part, myself, you, Joe, Soups, everybody we know, we can travel anywhere in the world and basically have a couch to stay on, and that's from BMX. If it wasn't for BMX, everybody I know would probably be people who I went to school with, and that would, for the most part, would probably be the end of it. And. Due to BMX, due to traveling, doing uh, things with Rob, you, Jeff, Soup's. it's endless of who you know, what you know, and I think that's what's so great about BMX to this day. You're absolutely
0: right. I mean, we've we've all benefited from that those connections through BMX. Huge. I mean, it's just been it's been awesome. Traveled the country and just always had a place to go. It and uh, and that was. That was pre that was pre flip phone,
1: oh yeah, which was only two years ago, probably for you, but you, <laughs> but a quick side note too, yeah. and I'm included in this. I feel that when you ride b m x it's like skateboarding it it's not really a sport, it's more like a lifestyle, so in some ways, whether you realize it at the time or not, you make a lot of sacrifices to do it. So there's not too many people that have college educations and things of that nature, but Everybody that rides BMX is street smart. You can go anyway, anywhere. Pauly right now, Pauly's going to Africa. I mean, you can go anywhere. You have those street smarts. You know how to take care of yourself, whether you're with a group, whether you're by yourself. And that's what's great. A lot of people get nervous in situations like that. But due to BMX, I, I went to Africa by myself as well for three weeks and I just felt comfortable. And I owe that, I believe, to BMX and being able to get comfortable in elements that I might not normally be comfortable in
0: makes perfect sense to me and it and it's true you know um, I hear of a lot of people that actually go to, to South Africa and, and I think it's it's probably somewhat connected but you know a bunch of you guys have gone you know Jay Lonergan, yep. you Soups, uh, Paulie's going you went, uh, Russ went right? Dave Harrison Dave Harrison too pedal driven. Yep, nice. So I mean, it's. I mean, that's awesome. You're right. What other sport really gives you that kind of comfort level and exposure? That's, exactly. It's that's awesome. So let's um, you know, let's let's kind of roll into when racing turned into trails only for you. How long did you race for?
1: Oh man, I I know I raced longer than Sups and a lot of the guys. I know my last year of racing, Brian Iarochi and myself went to a bunch of races. Myself I, I went up to a bunch of races. Excuse me, together, and that was by far the best year I ever I ever had racing. I basically made every main, but um, but what year? I, late late nineties? Yeah, or? I guess late nineties. Well, I, I it think was. I stopped in
2: ninety nine. So had a couple years yeah so I guess maybe
1: 2000 2000, 2001 something uh, something like that not to go off topic but um Mike Janicor and I are good friends and we don't talk that much anymore but we used to talk all the time and we would compare things that we love about BMX and dislike and I'm somebody in life and it's a mistake of mine but I hate change I hate change and when I think of BMX I think of dirt berms, and flat pedals. And I understand that you wanna make things easier on the parents, people like Rich Soper, who have to manicure the tracks, and I respect that. So I know the reason for the blacktop berms, but still, as my great friend Drew Jenkins has always said, anybody can ride a blacktop berm. Take somebody special to really ride a dirt berm, and BMX lost the dirt berms, they lost the flat pedals, they lost having the dirt contests at the racing, and with that, I think it they lost a lot of identity, and that 's when everybody slowly crept away from the sport, me included because i, I it just became something i wasn 't very in very much into, and the dirt jumping always always. I had an affection for. So it was just a natural progression to leave the racing side and go into the dirt side. And uh, I I hope it's not wrong to say, but once I left the dirt, the racing side to the dirt, I never, ever looked back.
0: hmm Yeah, I think there was a, a switch there for a lot of us in the late 90s and into the early 2000s. That was a big exodus. And, you know, for those reasons and, uh age sometimes family you know whatever the case may be but those are pretty valid points so what did you first do when you switched to focusing just on trails did you did you pick certain spots that you like to go or or, you know what happened with that
1: well yeah as Hoops pointed out in his podcast the first place we went was uh, called the Methodist Church Trails and uh, It's amazing how far trails have come, because back then uh, there weren't really sections, there was jumps, like the car seat jump. And the reason it was called the car seat jump is now kids build jumps and it's 100% dirt. Back then, it was landings
2: too, sorry Sorry to cut you off. Oh (laughs) no,
1: back then it was 70% filler, like a car seat, or Garbage and then dirt on top of it. And that's where, as they say, we cut our teeth going there. There was uh, older guys like Rob Morales that would go there, another guy that lived across the street by the name of Rob Minow, and they had the nicest of bikes, by far the nicest bikes. And that's, I think, where we kind of like fell in love with the dirt jumping. But that's when we were totally raw, when we were over the moon for hitting a single jump. I mean, that was like the best... Day of our life to hit a jump, and then it just morphed into jumping sections and going to port trails. Port trails is what made me the the dirt rider I am by far e- easily. That's where I felt the most comfortable, and that's just kind of who made me who I was as a, as a a, a trail rider I shouldn't say a dirt jumper and that's where I met an incredible friend by the name of Chris Palladino uh, and he started this place in Queens that was just like Kiko it was downhill it was big jumps and then
2: it's called Hillside
1: Hillside yep. and Pally and I just became fast friends and we were uh, we just became joined at the hip and then from there, that place got plowed twice. And believe it or not, we received a phone call from Sal at Posh. And he's like, I would like you guys to start coming here. And we were kind of taken aback in a good way. Like, hey, Sal's calling us, asking us to come to Posh. And the rest was kind of history from there. Then we started going every uh, every weekend. And then after two or three years, uh, Chris started getting more involved with family, so he stopped going, and then I went every weekend, basically by myself. And um,
0: yeah, you logged some miles. I mean, you were so, yeah. you were there a lot, so you were digging and rotting of, of course. Yeah. So, so you yeah. were you were there for for weekends and and with our friend there, Drew, and and um, and that went on. Uh, I mean, that that's there's a whole bunch we can talk about with with. Posh in general, but that went on from, what, early 2000s or
1: it went mid-2000s? For, like, to... It went on for a long while, because when I first started, when uh, Chris and I started going to, um, to Pennsylvania, we really started to go to NOM first, the legendary NOM trails. And we would stay, we, we would never go basically for the, well, we would go for the day. It would be myself, Chris, Darren Meenan, and Soups and we would go here and there sporadically, because we were all ride uh, port trails. Right. And then, once we kind of broke away from that, it would be myself, Darren, and Chris, and we would go to Nam, and then once that kind of broke down, it was Chris and I, and we would go, and we would always spend the week, and we would stay at Chicken Wrap, he the, the infamous Chicken Rap. We would stay at his house. If
0: this is Eastern PA, then this doesn't surprise me at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We would Especially stay- if he was a member oh. of ECD. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Chicken Rap was a member of the ECD. He was more of the Nom Crew to begin with. And that's
0: East Coast Destruction. For those yeah. that don't know.
1: But we would stay at uh, Chicken Wraps, and then uh, once uh, family kind of came into it for Chris, and he kind of backed away, Chicken Wrap also kind of backed away, and I would uh, spend every weekend with Drew, every single weekend for years. And then from that, J-Bone said, "Why, why the hell are you guys traveling? Why is DB traveling from New York to PA every weekend, and then when the session's over, traveling with you, meaning Drew, to Philadelphia, and then coming back, you guys should just stay with me, and so that's what we did for the past, like, for the, I should say the, like, the last maybe four years of riding, we spent every single weekend riding Posh, and then spending the night at Jay's house, and I can honestly say those were some of the best times. I When I stopped, I want to jump ahead, but when I stopped riding BMX, I was nervous to tell Jay and Drew because we became such great friends. And I remember I called the both of them separately, and they both said the same exact thing. They said, we can't believe it took you this long to, to quit. We kind of thought you were done three or four years ago because of the road biking and my response to the both of them was it was the two of you that kept me going because of the camaraderie. I had so much fun and had such great times hanging out on Jay's couch that I didn't I, as much as I wanted to stop riding I didn't want to stop being with those guys every weekend yeah. and so I, I kept on till I couldn't go anymore the the road right. biking just grabbed a hold of me and I, I just had to do that full time Yeah, and it, that was kind of the end of the, so the trails so you were a couple years
0: uh, so that must have been around 2000 uh, 2010 12 maybe Right around there, when you when you stopped riding trails. Oh no!
1: I stopped riding t- trails, 2009.
0: That's when you stopped. Yes. Oh, okay, got it. So.
1: And, and a quick side note: It's funny because Soups and I are intertwined in so many ways. Since '09, I have not touched my BMX bike except once. I was at my parents, and I decided to ride to 7-Eleven, and who do I run into on the street <laughs> is soups? I basically had two flat tires. I am so
2: stoked. I'm
0: like,
1: he's back! He's
0: back! We got him! You know, I'm going to jump ahead and ask a question right now, because we have a social media question, and, and it's from uh, Brian Barnhart. He, and he actually said, when's the comeback? Mr. B. <laughs> so obviously some people get excited when they see you near a bike and and i can tell you i can only dodge it for so long before before i got snagged and reeled in and and i got sucked in i was a willing participant i was more than ready but uh any chance of that ever happening let's let's answer mr b's question well, well right off there. the
1: bat right off the bat no. <laughs> Absolutely not. But let me expand. It's like a bunt. <laughs> well, I don't want to come across as being rude or anything. Right. I have the utmost respect for everything BMX encompasses. Whether it be racing, the Grands are going on right now. I listen to the Dale Holmes podcast all the time. Whether it be trail riding, street. But a comeback... A- absolutely not. I'm j- that's kind of an old chapter of mine. And when I stopped riding BMX, everybody said, including my parents, they they said there's no way. There's no way you're going to stop riding. I said, "I'm done. I'm done." And nobody believed it, but it's true. I just, I knew that I was done with it. Like I say, it was, the downfall for me was the road biking. That was the downfall, because all the energy and passion and love I had for BMX then got transplanted into road biking, and BMX, unfortunately, for lack of a better term, kind of went to the waste side, but that's the truth, though, and so... Because Mr. B always asks about me making a comeback, but like I said, all the love I have for the sport, a comeback, no. That's a past chapter of my life, and I was actually with Enos a couple of weeks ago, and that was the first thing Enos asked me. And I answered him in the same way, I said, no, no comeback for me. I still love it, still follow it, but no. I think You'll, everyone asks they, that they, because they miss you. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I was going to say the you. beauty
0: of that, and I'm going to cut right in here, the beauty of it. And I I, know this for personal experience. Although I did ride a little bit today, <laughs> finally. I, I, I slayed the dragon on a couple of these. And but, I witnessed it. But You nice. did. And, But the big thing for me that I've had to accept, that I've had to learn and accept, is that people are happy that, that i'm just here and this isn't just me this goes for you yep. this goes for soups you could put down your bike tomorrow in soups and people are just happy that you're showing up at the trails and you're just still part of the scene we've all talked about this we don't have anything to prove oh, and yeah you know we did this for ourselves and nobody else but the friendships are forever so regardless of whether you pick up a bike and ride again you're still part of this friendship circle, and I, I think that's huge, and I think we're all grateful for that.
1: Oh, yeah, thank you. It's mutual. I mean, all these guys, I mean, I could talk for days about everybody I met, whether it be once or people I became lifelong friends with from BMX because it's so vast. I mean, you're dealing with people from Japan, from Australia, from from Alabama, Arkansas, I mean, from all, all areas of, of the earth. Right. and so and everybody has different outlooks on life everybody has different outlooks on BMX but you learn about that from BMX from traveling and that's what's mm-hmm. so great about so I the the happiest day of my BMX life by far was the very first time I went to Shoreham BMX easily I remember it like it was yesterday I w- it was like going to Disneyland and I'll, I will never forget it. A- a- after all the places I've been, all the people I've met, the number one most vivid memory in my mind is the very first day I went to Shoreham, and I'll never forget it.
0: That's awesome, that is, that is really awesome. So let's get into what drew you to the road. Um, You're obviously a super driven guy, super focused on, is it endurance? You know, there's gotta be some things that, some some challenges that really sucked you in.
1: There's a couple. The the most probably controversial is by far, Lance Armstrong. I always loved the Tour of France. I always watched it. I knew everything about Greg LeMond. Laurent Fignon. Eddie, Merckx, I knew all about that. Bernard, but exa- Bernard Exactly, yeah. the Cannibal. And, uh, and Rob was into Eddie it Merckx. too. There yeah. was plenty of times I'd be over Rob's house and we'd watch the Tour de France. But That's I amazing. never ever even entertained buying a road bike. I mean, Greg LeMond was an American hero. He won the Tour de France multiple times. But I never watched and said, I'm going to get a road bike. Lance Armstrong came along, and I said, "I'm getting myself a road bike." And Bill Dees, Snips, who used to work for Snap Ride Publications, he had a road bike, and he was nice enough to let me borrow it a couple of times. And he had a top-of-the-line road bike, and I just fell in love. But it was Lance Armstrong that caused me to to buy the road bike. It was barred none. It was him, but. It also fell into my my wheelhouse in that I love BMX. I feel like I trained my ass off, but I just I was not built for racing, I, and it, it breaks my heart to say that. I mean, my dream as a younger kid was to be my hero, Gary Ellis, or Ronnie Gasca tim sterlucky i mean i got to line up on the gate with those guys every week at shoreham they normally wouldn't race they would practice but those guys are legends tim sterlucky probably has one of the best amateur careers ever you could put him against shelby james in healy all those guys i mean the multiple championships he won whether it be world or national and i got to say i was friends with him i mean i I, I can text with them. I, I mean, who can say that? But um, I just wasn't built, my body wasn't built for it. No matter how hard I trained, I would be lucky to make the main. I'd be lucky to make the semi. And then I would run track in high school, and I was always good at it. I wasn't great, but I was good at it. But then I started doing the road bike, and I hope I don't sound wrong, but I, felt, I found that I was like, great at it and it was kind of eye-opening to me that you always heard stories about guys these big-time factory BMX guys that would go to the races win all their motos win the main and then their bike would stay in the box for the whole week and then they go to the next race they unbox their bike and they just (laughs) didn't really have to ride they were just naturally good and that wasn't me in BMX but I found that was kind of me in road biking, but I also would and still do ride my ass off. I mean, I ride to and from work, and um, I I used to be the senior MEO at my job, and that is I'm in charge of all the heavy equipment. I had to be at work at five o'clock, so I would wake up every morning at two because I don't like being rushed. So I'd wake up at 2, I would um, brush my teeth, eat a little something, I'd be out the door by 3.30, and I'd, I'd ride my bike uh, 26 miles to work at 3.30. I'd get to work, I'd do my job, I'd run the boxes or drive the payloader, and I'd get off at 1.30, and then I would ride home a 46-mile route, and then I'd be home for about an hour, and then I'd go out with my road bike group, the Triangle Cyclists, and do another fifty miles. So that was on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So and I just found that that was me, and I would occasionally race. And I mean, the worst I've ever done in a road bike race is second place. Like, but I mean, that, yeah. that's that's wow, me. That was, that's me. That's I, me. I, it's also uh,
2: <laughs> in our in our small town. There was a guy known for road bike road bike racing. His name was Jeremy, and like, he was like the big shot of it. And then he would brag about all the, you know everything that he's done and this and that. And then you know, within maybe six months of DB like <laughs> riding road bikes, he was smoking this guy. That was that's what he was known for. So you know, that was that was pretty awesome. That was pretty funny. It is, and
0: you know, yeah. I think there's something to be said for you know body types. It's oh, it's definitely. Um, you know some people. Just have the body type for whether it be cross country running, you know, cycling, BMX. You know, you got the body yeah, type yeah. for it, and and you know whatever threshold physically for it. So I, I think it makes perfect, perfect sense, and I, I think it's cool. But um, I think uh, Soup's had a pretty good question there about your riding because I don't people. I don't think people realize how amazing the, the the distances are and the energy that you put out there is it's it's amazing so uh what did you get you. What did well, you
2: have? another thing is going back to trails before he made the transition mm-hmm. uh from bmx to, to bike racing you can kind of see this happening because let's talk about the don at posh the oh, me- Megadon, oh yeah oh which yeah was uh, was which uh was a side section off of jay's quality section yeah quality was long and hard and technical to begin with and then Jay built the section that branched off of that, went up the hill, did like a half or a figure eight, and then went right back to where it started, and then you linked back into it, and it was, what, a 45, 50 second lap? Yeah, BF at
1: timed it one time, and I think it was like 50 seconds. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I'm gonna say, I hit it once or twice in my life, and coming from a racing background, I was like, that's crazy, this is hard. And then DB's like, oh, I'm gonna hit it 100 times
0: and that was one lap you were tired
2: yes yes and this guy goes and "Is like oh one's not good enough I'm going to do it a hundred times in a day wow right and how many times yeah. did you
1: do that I did, I did the hundred <laughs> uh, two times that's crazy but it, yeah,
0: I, yeah and that was uh, I think that was 2000s. To 7
1: and 9, maybe? Well, it, was bo- it was both in the same year.
0: Oh, what? Oh, that's right. Yeah, It was, it was the same bo- year, but it yeah. was like July and September or something, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know what? Let's jump ahead because Rob DeLucky asked a question about that. And, um... How many... Well, we'll get right into it. How many 100-lap days did you complete on the Megalodon? So we kind of know the answer to that one, right?
1: Well, I- I'll... Let me branch off a little bit with the sure. Don. In my riding career, I had two heroes. Yeah. One, as everybody knows, is Gary Ellis. Yeah. And the second, it may sound weird, it may not, but is Tim Strelecky. Yeah. And I only say it may sound weird because Timmy and I are the same age. Yeah. But he would go to the trails and just do lap after lap and nobody ever frowned upon it but people would be like you know it's weird like we're at the trails and he's just doing laps Uh but i was the opposite i was like that's awesome like that is awesome so fast forward to posh as i said jay drew and myself were kind of inseparable I remember getting a phone call from Jay, and Jay's like, when I hang up with you, I'm calling Drew. I'm making a new section. This was the dead of winter. It was the dead of winter, but he was I'm going to make this um, this uh, this uh, section called the don, the megalodon, which is a prehistoric fish. That's what shark, a megalodon is. Right? Oh, is that what it, a yeah, shark? A shark. <laughs> shark. So he goes, it's going to go off quality. So... I'm okay, so when it comes around, myself, Drew, and Jay worked on it. And then we got so into it, Drew and I. Jay was like, I'm washing my hands of this section. It's totally your guy's section. Yeah. And, um,. And then we would just do... Drew made it through way before me. It took forever for me to get through because it was so soft. When we first built, we finished and we we wanted to ride so bad, so bad. And I was getting pissed because he made it through like the second or third time. It took me like a half a day. It was so sw- soft. But then guys would come to the trails, and they weren't really that into it, But they were into it, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. because it was such a challenge for them. And when it came to trails, I was never competitive with anybody, only myself. But getting the thought in my head for the 100 laps was, one, my endurance, but also... I we always hear people say like that's so hard, that's so hard. So hard. I remember I said to Drew one day, I'm like I'm going to do a hundred laps. <laughs> but the thing that's amazing, Drew is my best friend, mm-hmm. and to this day, I can always rely on him to always be honest with me. And when I said the hundred laps, I think I was almost leaning on him for his thought, like because I knew he would be like a true friend. A true friend is going to be honest with you and if he would be like you know that might be dumb whatever when he's i didn't even finish mentioning the hundred on the dime. he's like you got it there's no two ways about it. so i'm like okay i can do this then and we went down there one day with it, me in mind of doing the 100 laps and the day started out it was like eight o'clock in the morning and it was myself drew and chicken wrap and and that was the first time I did the 100. And the funny thing was, I actually got a flat tire halfway through. i pissed with you. I, I, I was catatonic. And and Drew and Chicken Wrap took my bike. It was like being at a, a Supercross event. where They took my bike, and they were my personal mechanics. They fixed my bike for me and had me. They're like, you just sit in the corner, just. Keep warm. Yeah, keep, keep warm. Keep your thoughts. Like, don't go crazy. We'll have your bike fixed for you. And that that is what kind of set off in my mind the hundred on the the dawn, but it's stored like I said basically with Tim Sterlecki I was always kind of in tune with what he was doing I wasn't a big he did a lot more tricks than I did but I was never a big trick guy I just loved the aspect of riding trails with your friends just doing laps and Timmy was big into the laps and I always kind of just latched a hold of that and then when we got a section like Megalodon that was just perfect for me I mean I would be it would be a Wednesday and I'd be I can't wait for Saturday I can't wait for Saturday to do the dawn and then like I said it became addicting for other people I mean anybody you can think of would hit the dawn
0: well we're going to turn this next comment from Delecky into uh, into to more of a more of a comment than a question because you already answered it but I'll tell you he he says why did you think it was such a good idea uh, or I'm sorry. Why did why did you think it was a good idea on one of the most endurance demanding trails, trail runs ever to exist to uh, to go for this? So really, I mean it's an attest testament to uh, to just how hard it was, how hard everyone knew it was, and and you and you did it, and you did it twice. So uh, huge props to you because oh, that was that's something that. I don't think people understand 100. Lap- I don't care if you are talking about 100 laps of running yeah. back and forth to the train tracks. It's, it's 100 laps. <laughs> you know, it's that's a that's a long day. And how many hours did it take you approximately? Well, I
1: think it took, like about six hours, six and a half hours. You know, I'd be remiss to say also, because my mom would be disappointed if I didn't say this. I think another reason I suffer from major OCD. Like, I'm one of those people, I'll close the door ten times. I mean, (laughs) major OCD. And the OCD goes into my biking as well. And it's one of those things, I, I think on a smaller level, like Joe... Why not do a hundred? Like <laughs> yeah. why? Not? If right. I'm able to do one, why not do a hundred? I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm uh, with uh, you. Go ahead. I, I
2: was when I was starting to ask my question, I I remembered you know the endurance thing and Megalodon, and so I kind of asked a question before my question, and that's where we're talking about Megalodon. But when it transferred into into road bike racing, um, I think at one point did you post something that in Five years, you rode a hundred thousand miles. Was that was that the right number?
1: Yeah, yes. All right. Yep. Uh, with all, I, I mentioned my bike ride to and from work. So that's about seventy or seventy one miles a day. Then every Tuesday and Thursday, I tack on an additional. Fifty miles each one of those days to ride with my road bike group and then Saturday and Sunday I usually do about 100 miles each day so that there is a five-year span like Soup's had mentioned where I did 20,000 miles a year so I had a hundred thousand um in five, what, years. Yeah, five and, and, years
2: and that was the, the, fi- the first five years that you actually calculated it. Yeah, so, that, so yeah. yeah so what do you estimate before that at least another hundred thousand before that right I, I would probably I, Every year Just in cycling I, Not including beaters. Oh yeah But then if you count Megadons <laughs> oh, <okay. that's, laughs>
0: Yeah Got a couple hundred there yeah.
2: So If you had If you had to estimate At You know Your lifetime Miles It's Obviously It's it's a, at least
1: 100,000
2: yeah, Probably 200,000
1: I, I, I I'd say I mean I, I, I would say For certainly Certain It was at At least 170,000 Wow. Definitely. But but I did do I think I did it smart in that the most direct route. I think, I think it's more than that. I uh, it might I mean be. if you did if you
2: did 100,000 in 5 years and it's been a while since you posted that and you're still doing it. I think you're I think you're underestimating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think uh, I think I think, I think it's I, I think it's at least 250. Yeah. And the moon is 240,000. <laughs> so I, I think you could easily say that that you've ridden your bicycle to the moon. Thank you. <laughs>
0: That's a great analogy. And there. I've had but, a blast but, yeah.
1: doing it. It's been unbelievable. I feel like a little kid. I still go to bed thinking about riding my bike, and I wake up thinking about riding my bike. And it's, I'm 41 years old. I I I literally feel like I'm 18, uh-huh. and it's it's amazing. I I couldn't ask for a better way to go through life than riding my bike.
0: I think it's awesome. I think it's obviously a great way to stay in shape, but to have that kind of focus and have those kind of goals, everyone needs a goal, whether it's keeping a place like this running and being able to, to ride it and just, you know, just being, being strong in your, in your passion. It's, You gotta have something in that that's what drives people oh, and, definitely. and you're you're driven and, and you' you're driven hard and it's great
1: well i get it, uh, there's so many factors that play into it, and uh, hopefully people can understand it because this is the way I look at it, but there is plenty of days I don't want to ride my bike, and I never like literally force myself to ride but there's plenty of days. I might be sore, I don't want to ride, but I look at, I know plenty of people in their 80s that can, other than raising their family, they never ever discovered their passion, ever. I mean, you can talk to some of these people, people from the greatest generation, and you kind of ask them what their passion is, or was, and they're kind of like, well, I raised my family, but what was your passion? Well, I never really, I I kind of raised my family and most people in BMX can say that at a young age, they discovered their passion. I discovered my passion, so riding my bike was never very difficult. If you, if you gave me a membership to the best gym around, I would go to that gym every single day for a month and then never go again, ever, because it's not my passion. For me to get on my bike is pretty easy. Because it's my passion. I was lucky enough to discover that. And when it does get difficult, sometimes I think of people. And I'm like, you know, I guess I kind of owe it to people that have never discovered their passion. I can't take it for granted. The last thing I want to do is take my passion for granted. So I might as well just get on my bike and ride. Because once I'm a couple of miles into it, I'm going to discover, oh, you know, I'm I'm glad I rode today. If I didn't ride, I probably would have been pissed later in the day and now I'm discovering hey maybe I'm not as beat up maybe my legs aren't as bad as I thought they were and a lot of it I just get from motivation from other people I I think of those things like hey you know there's people out there that don't really know what their passion is I know mine and I'm not going to take it for granted I'm going to go with it and get everything out of it that I can
0: it's awesome it's awesome I just think it's great, and so many people recognize it, and and we're all in awe of it. And um, the only downfall I can see is you're at zero percent body fat, and you're shivering like like, <laughs> a, like a son of a gun right now. So we'll uh, we'll keep moving. But um, so we talked a couple about idols. Let's um, let's just real quickly: BMX idols in in racing, trails, and then road.
1: Well, overall, just, I'll answer those questions, but overall, easy, when it comes to the sport of 20-inch BMX, Gary Ellis. I love Gary Ellis, every, just the way he approached racing. He always seemed like a pro's pro, always had the cleanest uniform. I mean, if I owned a company, I wanted to sponsor somebody, it would be somebody like Gary Ellis, I always respect him. And like I said, growing up on Long Island, I mean, we had Keith Mulligan, we had Justin Lafredo, we had Rob Morales, we had Tim Strzelecki, we had Ryan Gaskett, Those guys were amazing guys. Those guys that, guys that traveled everywhere, knew everybody, and were amazing riders. But I, there was something about Timmy. I always gravitated towards Timmy, so he was another guy. But then, I mean, there there's, there's just so many people. I mean, like right now as we speak, somebody who I look up to so much is Brian Kaminsky when we rode BMX he wasn't a great friend of mine and i'm we're not great friends now but i follow him on instagram he's a huge motivational factor for me he had a big i guess it was a disease or illness that stomach, stomach cancer yeah, stomach yes stomach cancer he fought through that and now and now, we not only went from the love of BMX, we now have a love of riding road bikes. He's more to triathlons, but still, nevertheless, it's road bikes. And we have that mutual admiration for one another. And every time I see him, he has a huge smile and he gives me a hug and he's like, have you been riding lately? And I'm the same way towards him. So I get immense motivation from him right now. I get motivation from Soup's, I think, we start at the same time. I haven't touched my BMX bike since '09. He's still riding. I find that absolutely amazing. And every day on Instagram, I'm checking things his one-foot tables <laughs> on uh, Table Tuesday. Yeah. There's numerous people, but when it comes when it comes to trails to actually ask, well, to, when it comes to racing, it's those top guy from Long Island that I mentioned, Gary mm-hmm. Ellis. When it comes to, uh, to trails, I'm going to be totally selfish and mention my friends, because they're the ones who I was around the most. Guys like Darren Meenan, who just recently got back into it. Superfly, Chris Palladino, Keith Terra. I mean, the list goes, Luke Kempster, Daryl Nob, one of my favorite human beings on planet Earth. Um I mean, the list just keeps going. And quick sidebar, the thing that's interesting, that I think it crosses all bounds, is you have guys who are superstars. Corey Nastasio, Chris Doyle, nicest guy in life. Nicest guy in life, Chris Doyle. Van Homan. These guys are superstars. I'm sure if they went to the Grands, which are going on this week, Kids would be running up to him because they're just they're royalty in BMX, and the type of riding I did wasn't really conducive with what they did. They do it, all the all the tricks, but they would be in awe when they would come to the to posh and we would do don. I mean, I remember Nastasio being like, "Holy shit, man! What the? You're still riding?" And it's like, "Wait a minute, like, this guy's a superstar," but yet. <laughs> It crosses bounds. He's willing to not have a closed mind and like, hey, this guy is just like doing whips and that's it. He's recognizing hey, this guy's doing whips, but he's doing lap upon lap. The same thing with Doyle. Doyle would come to the trails and be like, hey, Jay, uh, you mind if I do like a couple like tail whips or 360s? Are you kidding me? Like, why don't I mess the jumps up? It's like, are you you kidding me? There's no... Plausible way you're going to mess a jump up. There's no, Chris <laughs> yeah. Doyle, you're not going to mess a jump up. But those are the type of people because he would also recognize, like, hey, these guys are doing laps. It wasn't like, oh, those guys aren't doing tricks, they yeah, have whatever. Like, they would recognize it. And that would always make you feel awesome that these guys are going all over the world and they're getting paid to and that they're still willing to recognize a local guy riding the trails, really doing no tricks other than maybe tabletops and X-ups, but he's putting in the time to just do laps and enjoy, enjoy what's in front of him, the amazing right. scenery, the amazing friendships, and most of all, the jumps. Hey,
0: idols I, I go both ways, you know? you're an idol too so it's <laughs> I, yeah it does definitely cross bounds and, sure. and I hope Boundaries. that
1: answers your question
2: I, oh I, totally well I, yeah. I think you answered uh racing and trails yeah. but what about the third part was uh road, road. Cy- cycling road yeah road. road cycling so who do you look up who do you look look up to well
1: that? the, that's well still to this day I still love at Lance Armstrong it do I like him as a person, the way he treats people? No. Right. I, I think he's a piece of dirt. Like, I, I really do. But I will never forget, he is the reason... I got a road bike. There, there's no two mm-hmm. ways about it. I have a road bike because of Lance Armstrong, so I won't forget that. So I still look up to him in that aspect, whether he cheated or not. Whatever. Well, he wasn't the only one cheating, right? Yeah. How exactly. far the list among, down, he, right? was
0: the, he was the best cheater among <laughs> yeah. the exactly. cheaters. It's, that's yeah. that's yeah. what it, it goes was. down really
1: exactly. far on that list. And then yeah. guy, guys I ride with, one the, my friend Mike Bergman, who's no longer with us, The mm-hmm. one of the worst days in my life. Mm-hmm. was doing a ride two years ago with the Triangle Cyclist he was a little bit older than me but he dropped dead from a heart attack and that's the, it still gets me choked up mm-hmm. that's the worst day of my life I mean my dad recently passed away but unfortunately he was sick for a long time I mean I surround like, people are like nobody matches your enthusiasm and your love for road biking and I always cut them off I said that's not true Come on a group ride with me, and you're going to find a hundred other people that love to ride just as much as I do, have just as much passion, maybe even more, because these are people that have kids, wives, and kids. I have a I have a girlfriend. I have no kids. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't have I, this. I don't want this to sound wrong. I don't have that sort of like baggage where mm-hmm. it's like, well, I want to ride today, but I have a soccer game to go. Do these people have those sorts of issues, or however you want to look at it, and they still find time to ride? But Mike Richford is a guy I greatly look up to Anthony Matteo Greg Goskowski these these are local guys that ride bikes with but they're amazing riders and just like most of the people we've talked about in BMX even more so they're great people Mm-hmm. There are people that I, I wouldn't be afraid to introduce to my mom. Like, hey, mom, like this, this is uh, Greg Oskowski. He's the guy I ride with all the time. I mean, they're they're great people, and uh, those are the people I look up to the most. It's not now that I'm older and more mature. It's not really the people that I see on TV. It's the people that I know because I don't want to sound cynical, but I think a lot of those people you look up to the t- on the TV if and when you do meet them a lot of times they're going to kind of let you down and mm-hmm. the people you know you know are not going to let you down and so the, those are the road bike people that I really look up to and I'm I feel fortunate enough to be able to call them friends
0: that's a, that's a great point and uh sometimes we do have to look closer to ourselves than we than we realize and not so far outside and um and buy into uh, to, to basically what media pushes on us because some of the greatest people that we could possibly meet are right in our own neighborhood. So um, so on the topic of idols, Nuno Oliveira wants to know if, uh, his question is, you had a signed Gary Ellis GT jersey. How did you obtain that?
1: Well, it's a signed Gary Ellis jersey that is also framed it's hanging it in the bike room at my place was it also
2: from his his retiring year
1: yes on his way out great story and it involves connecticut there's a connecticut guy who i'm friends with to this day on on uh facebook and instagram but uh tom johnson I don't know if Tom Johnson was as big a fan of Gary Ellis as I was, and that doesn't even matter. But he wanted Gary Ellis' jersey. And we were at South Park one year, uh, Gary Ellis' retirement year, and I had all of Long Island on my side. Because Gary Ellis, after all the mains on Sunday, he would go to the top of the starting hill and people would gather and he would throw the jersey out. So he threw it, and I think Tom Johnson caught it. And then Tom Johnson felt the wrath of, of all of Long Island. All of Long Island. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. It was oh, that's bad. Great. So I didn't get that jersey. But then... Oh,
0: but the, th- the wrath didn't make him pass it no, over? No, no,
1: he kept it. But it gets even better in my favor, because Gary Ellis' final BMX race as an NBL double-A pro, was at the Grands, where he won all three mains. After he won all three mains, it was the Grands, so I think people weren't as focused on Ellis as I was, because everybody was more focused on going going to get their plates. Right. So I went up to... Uh, and I was nervous. Like he, He's a superstar of I me. Mean, right. Today, I would right. be nervous. I walked up to him, and I said, like, hey, Gary, you think I can... Uh, I can get your jersey. and uh, I'll never forget this. He kind of looks around and he goes, I really can't give it to you because I have to throw it off at the starting hill. And he looked around and there wasn't a single kid. And he took his two fingers, pointed in at my chest, and he goes, you want to know something? I'm giving you the jersey. I have some photo commitments to do, but you have my word. You have my jersey. You have my word. So I... I, I I literally started tearing up. I I couldn't believe it. He did his photo commitments. And like a man, he came to me. And thankfully to Lee Kirsch, another guy that goes way back on the Long Island BMX scene, thanks to him, I got the autograph. Because Gary gave me the jersey. And I was in such awe. And I was so happy. I took it. I thanked him probably a hundred times. And I turned and walked away. And, And Lee goes... DB, why don't you gamp to sign it? So so like but the amazing thing is the man that Gary Ellis was, he before I could turn around, Gary walked up to me, he put his hand on my shoulder, kind of spun me around, he goes, Would you like me to sign it? I, I said yes. He goes, Stay right here, don't move. I'm going to go get a marker. When he got a marker, walked back to me and signed it. And I couldn't I couldn't believe it. And my parents, my parents were huge. BMX people. I mean, my mom didn't care if I won or I lost. She just wanted me to be safe. And like, like a typical parent probably. But I remember I went back to the car and I think my mom might tear up because she knew how much I loved Gary Ellis and I, I had the jersey. And like I said, thanks to Lee, it was signed because it would not have it wouldn't have been signed if he hadn 't had said, Hey, d b, right. get it signed, and then I remember driving back from Louisville, my mom and I just talking about it not just the weekend but get having that and it, like two days after I got home, I brought it to this place to have it signed. like money was no object, it was getting framed <laughs> like no matter how much it cost, it was getting framed nice and it got shadow framed. box yeah
0: and that's awesome let's uh before we get into questions about referring directly to DB. Let's um, let's talk about the meaning of DB4 because there's a huge connection that some people might not be aware of, but you are a huge fan of motocross. So where does DB4 come from?
1: DB4 comes from well, my initials obviously Dan Bailey, but then it's also Ricky Carmichael. For those who may not know, NASCAR and motocross are, have a lot of similarities, and one of the biggest ones is you get a lifetime number. And the number four was a big lifetime number to a lot, like a lot of big name motocross, supercross guys, and the the. The biggest guy, I would say, was Ricky Carmichael. And the reason I came up with the DV4 is I am not tech savvy at all. I know nothing, to this day, I really know nothing about computers. I have a tablet. I go on my tablet, that's how I do my social media. I have a smartphone now. It has no social media apps on it or anything. Everything's done from my tablet. But I always thought to myself, Usually, my, my parents taught me, especially my dad. When you, when you see another man, you go up and you shake his hand. You, whenever I saw my dad, whenever I would go visit my dad, even when he was very sick, I had to shake his hand. I, it was the way I was raised—a nice, firm grip. And also, when you have a legal document what do you do you have to put your signature and when you're dealing with social media and things of that sort you can't really put a signature so i kind of came up with the crazy idea like when i do something on social media i'm gonna put db4 that's kind of my signature and it's paying homage to one of my favorite athletes and it's interesting that you bring Carmichael up because everybody is like your aisle's Carmichael I go no it's not and they say no it is and I go well are you asking me or are you telling me because if you really want to ask who my idol is I'll tell you it's not Ricky Carmichael it's Gary Ellis but, but I just love Supercross always did, and and Carmichael, I think, no matter what sport you're talking about, the ferocity that guy had was just next to none, his training, everything, I, I mean, next to none, and that I just fell in love with, I mean, and that's why... And and somebody like Gary Ellis also didn't have a lifetime number. I mean, to me, he's always number one, and I know I'm not the only Long Island guy that loves Ellis. It's also Ryan Hoey is another big Ellis guy, But, um, but I fell in love with Carmichael, so I thought Carmichael, my initials, online signature, and that's what came up with DB4 as simple as or as complicated as that is that that's how db4 came about
0: nice all right well this brings up a good question from shoe brian shoemaker who would win a fight between ricky carmichael and lance armstrong
1: (laughs) Oh, that's it. Well, Ricky, just like most crust guys, Carmichael's basically a midget. (laughs) So he's not going to have the reach. Lance Armstrong would definitely have the reach. And I guess also like a lot of retired athletes, Carmichael has gained quite a bit of weight, which Armstrong has. And so I'd say Armstrong. And plus, Armstrong, I I really think would... uh, Slit his mother's throat to win. So yeah, he doesn't I
2: like to lose. exactly.
1: So I, I say Lance Armstrong. Absolutely, <laughs> probably probably
0: a good choice. Probably a good choice. I listen to his podcast, and he's he, he's pretty much the same. But uh, all right, so let's get into some other some other things. Um, you, you got a bunch on your phone, I think. Soups uh, questions yeah. that came in later. Why don't we mix in a couple of yours,
2: uh, Tom? 13884, which is uh, Tom DiStefano, asks, how long could you ride a sit-down
1: wheelie in the 90s? Oh, man. I could go pretty damn far. And, and I didn't cheat either. Like, my seat post was kind of – I mean, by today's aspects, I mean, my seat wasn't welded to the frame, but it wasn't very high. But I could go – I would just feather the brakes, and I could go for quite a few blocks. I, I could easily—I mean, nobody knows this other than Supes, but I mean, I could easily go from like Seven yeah. Eleven to my parents' house. I think I think Tom said it in
2: my podcast. He was like, he's like Dan Bailey riding sit-down wheelies through seacliff
1: is what made me ride Vmax.
0: Oh yeah, that's right.
1: I yeah. remember that. Yeah. And, and yeah. Ca- go ahead. Spe- speaking of Tom, I would be remiss if I didn't bring him up because I brought like K up. Tom's another guy. Tom had Tom. Is like soups. A lot of these guys, he lives BMX. Him and his brother, his brother is a big rock climber, climbs like mountains, all sorts of stuff. But Tom holds a special place in my heart also, not just for being a great person. He had a major, major injury last year, a major injury, and he's back still loving BMX. And that's another thing about BMX is I've always said BMX, you can't go by aesthetics that you can see, soups and I, you, Joe, everybody has gone through this. You see the guy that's big into BMX, aesthetically built like a brick house, has one bad fall, you never ever see him riding again. And then you see other guys, like myself, who's smaller in stature, that just keeps coming back. I mean, Tom is, like, none of us are young anymore. We all feel really young, but we're not, we're, no teenagers anymore. Tom had a serious, serious injury. that uh, He almost impo- lost his foot. Yeah, Ooh. almost hanging, lost his hanging foot. Hanging off by skin. And now Ugh. he's back riding again I'm loving it. And so much respect to him. I, I meant to bring Tom up before and I yeah. forgot, so I'm happy that he – I thank him for the question and I wanted to get his name out there as well.
2: Darren has a bunch of questions.
0: So, um, yeah, let's hit some of these. He's got a couple good ones in there. Yeah,
2: um, Some of them are quick. How many hours a day did you practice breakdancing in your basement <laughs> as a kid? <laughs>
0: I love these kind of questions. Oh,
1: man. break da- Well, it wasn't in my basement. It was in my garage. But uh, I-, I guess I'd spend maybe like an hour, an hour and a half every day. Nice. All right, And, this, I- this and with breakdancing, I will never reveal, but I do. I do know Jeff Allen, the redhead stepchild. Oh, I, the do, I do know his breakdance name, but I will not tell. Oh, but I, but I
2: do know it. <laughs> yeah, These are questions from Darren Meenan from Man-Made BMX in the 7-line. Um, better car, Kia or Jeep?
1: They both lasted a long time with really no uh, maintenance, other than oil changes, tires rotated, but I would definitely go with Jeep. All right. He also asks, when did you reinvent the DB Tuck? Uh, (laughs) Um, I I don't know, but the DB duck got me in a lot of trouble at work because I always wear my work pants. Every couple of weeks, I would have huge holes in the ass from the tire constantly hitting my my ass. So that got me in some hot water at work. Not that I really cared, but uh, damn, probably around the port days. So these were true skid marks. Oh yeah, it would <laughs> wear holes right through the pants. Yeah, uh, I have a question also.
2: Um, were you sponsored? Were you? Were you or were you not sponsored by Knucklebone?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a classic story. I I, I, I don't know if you'd say sponsored, but did they send? Did Spencer from Knucklebone send me stuff? Yes, he sent me a package or two. Yeah, and that, and, and how did that come about? That came about, Brian Collins. Rob Morales and myself watching, it might have been a New York Knicks game, back when the Knicks were actually good, over Rob's place, just coming up with funny ideas. And we called Mosh and mocked (laughs) Sam Arellano, slamming Sam. So it was a prank call? (laughs) A prank call. And then we did the same to Knucklebone, but the guy at Knucklebone, Spencer, actually took it serious. Like Sam Arellano was cracking up and all that. Spencer from Knucklebone took it dead serious and we are just to- totally clowning him. And I gave him my address, thinking nothing's gonna come of it. Next thing I know, I had like two packages in the mail from Knucklebone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. You've always been a prank caller, haven't you? Son of a gun.
2: Um, I think the last one on social media is from um, J-Bone BMX, Jay Lonegrin from Posh. He asks, um, uh, where does your PMA dedication and
1: energy come from everything that you do? Definitely without question my parents Uh, from a little kid my parents always well my parents are and for my dad was the hardest working people I've ever met and I I know people might say like oh it's his parents he's saying it but it truly is that and my parents also told me if you're ever given a task you do it full bore and if you're not going to do it full bore don't do it and if you start something you finish it and I, I so I got that I guess dedication and drive easily from my parents and then as you get older and you mature, you want to spend less time with your parents and more time with your friends and kind of doing what's perceived as cool and all that. And I just have always had amazing friends. I mean, my friends were always like, let's go ride bikes. It wasn't like, let's go smoke a bowl or let's go do this. I mean, you usually school would let out, we would rush home And then it would be Justin DiPietro, Brian Collins, Supes, and myself. And if Rob was in town, Rob, riding all around Seacliff and Glen Cove and just having a a great time, doing all sorts of shenanigans, riding bikes, and people like that just give me drive. Uh, Guys from Connecticut, like, hey, Connecticut, it's not that far but when you're younger it's an eternity the right way when you don't have a bike and when you don't have a car and you can just ride your bike places connect far it's like damn these connecticut guys are coming all the way to Long island to ride bikes like that's that's well, it dedication still, feel, still
0: feels long when you're older too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you leave at the crack of dawn but uh all right let's hit let's hit a um actually i'm going to throw this one in here because this guy's been a huge supporter of the podcast and um He's looking to start an indoor BMX track and is just wondering your opinion on uh, two things. Who had the best tracks, NBL or ABA?
1: Uh, Oh, NBL. And I'll say that for two reasons and two reasons only. The NBL was home to South Park and the NBL was home to Shoreham BMX. And just for that, people rode uh, on a back in the day, the last straight, the triple step, people rode South Park. I don't care if every other track in the NBL was garbage. The NBL had South Park. It had Shoreham, So I say NBL had the best tracks.
0: Awesome. All right. And by the way, this user's name on Instagram is Die 401 I believe he's from Rhode Island. And I believe he's
1: dedicated with yeah, a name like
0: that. Absolutely. Super nice guy. So he wants to open an indoor track, BMX track in New England. Uh, Do you think it would help BMX grow? I know it's a little bit out of your realm, but, um, you know, just gut feeling on that one. I don't know. Knowing how, you know, our winters are and, you know, we usually end up riding indoor parks is what we do.
1: Yeah, if I I was still into BMX, I mean, I would definitely go there. I I still love BMX. BM, BMX racing, but that is, I have to be honest, is, I'm not dodging the question, but that, I really haven't I, I haven't ridden, so that is kind of out of my out of my realm right now. I really don't have a clue.
0: Quite all right. Quite all right. The guy's a good guy, and I just wanted to throw the question out there for him. So let's ask you a Keith Tara question, who don't worry, we're going to get him back later on today uh. when we record another interview. Keithera wants to know how long did you spend packing a landing at our hillside trails?
1: Oh, I like I said earlier, I uh, unfortunately suffer from OCD, so the landing would be packed, probably stop for and everything bagel with vegetable cream cheese, two slices of lox, usually compliments of Justin Lafredo who was also a local at Hillside. Then I would pack the jump all over again Probably we would stop for a half hour, forty-five minutes, just to shoot the breeze, and then we'd go back for a third time to pack the landing. So I, I, I guess uh, th- three, uh, which there is really no reason for. Once was sufficient, but my uh, OCD tendencies would uh, cause me to pack it three times. <laughs> <laughs>
0: was, uh, maybe from Darren. Something about. Yeah. Something about packing a jump?
2: Um, yeah, it was like... Yeah, Darren, uh, Darren Meadon's other question was... Um, talk about your method of packing jumps. I think you just explained that. Was, uh, was it not considered pack until you broke the
1: shovel? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, there's two things that would come of that. The... The packing method would, I would, if this makes sense, I would start from the top of the jump down, but I would pack up. I wouldn't pull the shovel towards me. I would push it away from me. I think, and,
2: a, I think Keith Tara also did that, too oh, at yeah. some point. It switched over. Yeah. It, was, I, it was like a smack and
1: push. Exactly. And I, all credit goes to uh, McGilla, Gilly Smalls. He was the one I saw do that. and um, And... The shovel wouldn't so much break, but believe it or not, you're dealing with metal on dirt. But after a while, the shovel would literally kind of wear out. (laughs) The metal, I guess just from the friction of being on the clay, would kind of wear out after a while.
0: (laughs) But do you have a couple stories you want to tell about uh, some BMX stories that people might be interested in? Before we uh, kind of get you warmed up, maybe put you into some kind of warm suit or whatever no, that, people are doing. Road well, the Viking. sun's
1: out now, so it's good. It's when it goes beyond the clouds. But <laughs> for those who aren't here, I'm sitting in the middle, and I have Joe to my left, and I have Supes to my right. So I can start off with a soup story. It, it really isn't that much like BMX, but it just ties into BMX. The 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 trails that I mentioned before, that Soup's also mentioned, the Methodist uh, church trails, we would go there all the time. And one day, it was either the spring or summer, two older guys showed up that we were friends with, uh, that I guess we somewhat looked up to, not, they weren't like on, like, Rob Morales level, but they were good riders, this guy Rob Minow, this other guy Pete Santiago, decided to show up on their quads. <laughs> 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 so, uh, so Soups and I being the young kids, think that's amazing, like, hey, like, they stopped and asked us if we wanted to ride on the back, so like, of course we said yes (laughs) so I get on the back of Rob Minnow, and he lives across the street Supes gets on the back of Pete Santiago's, but with that, the, the church custodian comes out and starts running after us so I'm on the back of Rob's Rob guns it, goes like maybe 200 feet and then he's like Jump off, Dan, jump off. So I jump off, and at this moment, the guy is chasing Pete. So Rob is out of this guy's line sight. So I hop off, and Rob just goes across, puts the garage door down. While Soup's is on the back of Peter's. Peter does not live across the street like Peter doesn't live far but he doesn't live across the street he lives like blocks away so Peter who was like the local criminal (laughs) decides to not only gun it and take off but doesn't Tell soups to get off, like Rob did to me. He's like, stay on. Yeah. So I'm back at the trails with my bike and soups's bike. and I'm like, where the fuck is Soup's? Well, Peter decides to go all the way home, probably going like 60 miles per hour. Because well, the dude, dude grabbed, <laughs> like, the dude grabbed me and was holding yeah, yeah, onto that's my right, shirt.
2: Yeah, and he just gunned it. So like, I was holding onto Pete, like, holding on to him. And this guy, like, we started dragging the guy, and he's holding on to my shirt, and I was like, this is crazy. <laughs>
1: That's right. I forgot they grabbed you. So so then they kind of just disappear. I don't know, like a half hour later, like Zeus right. comes back. I'm like, what the hell happened? He's like, yeah, the guy grabbed me. We went all the way back to Peter's house. <laughs> and where Peter lived isn't too far from where you're parked right now at the 7-Eleven. Oh, okay. And then I can tell a story about you, Joe. I remember going to your house... And, like I said, I remember guys like Todd Wells being there. I remember the Fosters being there. I remember all sorts of guys being there. And one of the big reasons Rob and I... Because I always... Rob and I would always go together. One of the big reasons we went there, like... We're like, we can't wait to ride the trails. But, yeah, who cares about the trails? Joe's Magazine Collection. (laughs) That is why we wanted to go. And I remember... And there was a few times, you had a gorgeous house, and you had the basement, you had the lazy boy, you had like two lazy boy chairs, and when we went, it was around this time of year, Whereas we always went like around this time of year, where it was kind of chilly, and the temperature drops at night, and you had this Gorgeous house upstairs, and Rob and I would sleep downstairs where it was freezing. But the only reason why we would just be going through the magazines <laughs> all night long, just looking at these magazines, and it was amazing. And it, it broke my heart when I found out you oh, got rid of them. Let's not talk about it. This
0: haunts me to, to this day. Oh my gosh, it's what happens when you when you. Turn away from BMX sometimes and you're not really thinking.
1: And, and there's two other guys I I, ha- I I have to bring up stories because they're so close to me. Jay Bone, who is a lifelong friend, we would see at Jay Bones all the time. Mm-hmm. Drew and I, I'm sorry. And we would call it, well, Jay himself would call it the mansion because there's a, a certain part in in Bethlehem where all the guys who ran Bethlehem steel back in the day they built this humongous mansion for themselves huge and now they're like apartments so like five five uh, apartments in one house one mansion and Jay lived in one of them so every weekend even when it was not nice out we would go J- just to hang out like it would be a crap it would be it would rain all weekend and Drew and I would still go to Jay's to hang out. And every year in Bethlehem, they have Music Fest. And there is an infamous rider, an amazing rider in Bethlehem. Well, he used to ride. His name is Brian Stimmel. Oh, yeah. And he's he's known as Munz. And he we always come over, a great, great guy, great family guy. And he came over one time and he had a few drinks in him. And we we're going to go down to Music Fest, which is like a world famous music festival that goes over a couple of weeks. And all famous acts, whether it be rap, country, rock, people, all those different genres of music, come together for the festival. So. Jay and Brian Huge I don't know if they still are But we're huge into the ultimate fighting So we're at the apartment And Brian Munz Is doing all these wrestling moves on me And we go music fest And the whole way from Jay's to music fest He's like throwing me on lawn And then finally Jay stops And Jay turns to him And he's like Munz Stop (laughs) He has laps to do tomorrow. You can't be beating this guy up. You're going to physically make him tired. You're going to beat him up. Stop throwing him around. This isn't UFC. He's not going to be able to do laps tomorrow. And like like a scolded little boy, Brian was like, okay. I'm sorry. And for the rest of the night, like didn't touch me after Jay scolded him. And then... um two two of my favorite people on Earth, Daryl Naw, uh, that, I mean, every I, I don't even have to tell stories about Daryl, because everybody yeah. just knows him. And I, Like, I think most people, everybody just knows him foremost for being an amazing human being. Now, another guy I, who's so close to me, I'm not afraid to mention his name, because I know he's not going to get mad. I have to. But Drew Jenkins, who I've become good friends with is. With his family, his mom. I mean, I used to have deep, deep conversations with his mom when I would stay at his house. I mean it was his mom would make us breakfast. But two great stories with Drew, and I'm going to stay away from writing, I'll respect him. But two stories that I also remember like yesterday, myself, Drew, and Phil snack Well well myself, Drew, aka Drexel. And Phil snack a.k.a. Factory, uh, we're going, every year we would pick a different Supercross to go, and we would go to the same two motocross races every year, and we we're going to Mount Morris, which is High Point, in Pennsylvania, where we would run into Yakel every year, and we'd run into Punjab and have an amazing time. So we ride Posh all day, and then we drive to uh, Factory, his sister's house, and we spend the night, and we did this for years. We would spend the night at her house, and then we wake up in the morning, and we drive from her place, which wasn't far from South Park BMX track, to uh, High Point for the for the motocross race. And in between, we would stop at um oh what's the name, Cracker Barrel. And uh, I'm n- not trying to be funny or anything. We place our orders and we get our food and i get eggs i get toast and eggs and all that so just nonchalantly i take the ketchup and i put it on my eggs i eat my eggs with ketchup and i put a number four on the eggs and i mean i i don't do this and like hit him or anything to get his attention i kind of just do it and i'm about to to start eating my eggs and Drew has tears running down his face. I mean, I could be mistaken, but I think they might have actually been dripping off of his off of his chin. And he's he's laughing so hard he's crying. And I'm like, "What's up?" And he, he can't speak because he's laughing so hard. He's just pointing at my at my eggs. He just keeps pointing at them. Oh, and man. then to this day we'll still talk about. He will like, remember that day you put the number 4 on your eggs. Oh.
0: God, Drew is the best. Drew's the absolute best. Gosh. And
1: and then there's another one. I, I, I hope nobody takes this as being controversial, especially my good friend Ryan Hoey. But I'm sure Drew is going to laugh at this too. Once again, it was Drew, Phil, and myself. This time we go to Steel City, which is the other... Pennsylvania motocross race. And these are the big time motocross races like James Stewart, like Davey Millsaps, um, Ricky Carmichael, they're all showing up to mm-hmm. So we go to the race and uh, we're driving home. We're going to drive straight back to Philadelphia because there is a time where Phil lived in Pennsylvania. He lived in, uh, excuse me, not in Pennsylvania, like Drew, he lived in Philadelphia. So we're driving and it's the dead of night. It's pitch black, we're someplace, I don't even want to venture a guess because I can't remember, but we both have to pay bad so we're like drew do us a favor just pull over so he pulls over and uh and phil and i Aunt P, and we get back in the car, and we're about to drive away, and a cop pulls up. He has his lights on and everything, and he takes a slow walk up to Drew's car. Drew puts his window down, and it turns out this cop is the nicest guy. Like, he's like, Daryl, no, nice. <laughs> and so he, um, he's like, is there something wrong? And we're like, no, there's nothing wrong. He's like, everything's okay with your car. And, I, and we're like, yeah, it's perfectly fine. And we're like, yeah, you know, to be fully honest with you and transparent, we kind of like had to relieve ourselves. And the cop was like, yeah, no problem. That's perfectly fine. And he's about to walk away. Well, no, I, I'm sorry. He starts walking away, and I get this brilliant idea. I'm like, officer, oh, can I have another second of your time? Now, I'm passenger side. Phil's in the back, okay. and Drew's driving. And yes, here hear Drew go, oh, no. Oh, what happened? What's going on now? So the cop comes up, and I said, sir, I come from New York. I said, in New York, you're not always treated very well by the cops. Like there's derogatory names that people call the cops, and so they seem to have an attitude when you come across them. You seem so nice. Why is that? And the guy kind of take like, takes a deep breath and he's like, "Well, you know, New York has a lot of crime. Here, we have no crime whatsoever. There's not much that goes on. So there's really no need for us to be mean to anybody." And he's continuing to talk, and he looks at his watch, and he goes, I know I'm mid-thought, but it's coffee break time. (laughs) He goes, I'm meeting the other officers at the local diner. If you want, follow come to the diner with us you can sit down and we can continue this conversation but if you don't want to come i really gotta go it's coffee break time so so with that he we don't follow him he decides to I, I, he doesn't decide he drives off and then once again Drew's just crying because drew was like it was bad enough this cop drove up then when We're done with him. He's walking away, and you have the idea to call him back. And he goes, what the (laughs) the fuck?
0: (laughs) That is great, especially to put Drew in that position. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, on that note, we should go for our coffee break because uh, I am getting cold. Um, I've got far more body fat than you, but um, but one thing we'll do before we go is get a picture of... uh, shirts because i swear we didn't talk to each other before we came but uh i'll post a picture of this we won't we won't clue anyone in we both
1: have the base brooklyn ah you just gave it away (laughs) oh i'm sorry
0: but that's all right no it's all good but uh i really appreciate you doing this today it's been it's been something i've wanted to do and and you are you're the best eb and the most positive guy i know and and just
1: appreciate every time we touch base and on top of saying thank you, because I thank you so much, I, I, I truly am touched. I, I never thought I would get an opportunity like this, and words can, uh, I can't describe how good I feel about this. I, I truly feel honored. I, I mean, I really do, and I thank you for that. And it, it means a lot to me, too, because, I mean, you and I talked before, this, before we started this podcast, and... One thing, it sounds weird. I enjoy getting older. I don't want to wake up tomorrow and be 80, but I enjoy getting older because I know how immature I was growing up. I know that I know how far I've come, and with that maturity, I've realized everybody has problems. There's not a single person walking this earth that doesn't have a problem, whether it be Mental problems, there's people coming back from war, missing limbs, there's people overweight, and there's things that everybody has in their back of their mind that they know they're not perfect. And for me, it's my speech. I've always had a speech impediment, and it's something I've always... I, I, I always know I have that speech impediment, and it, it has bothered me in the past, but with maturity, I've come to think no way's perfect. And the only reason I bring this up is because I mean, it means a lot to me that with my speech impediment, you're still willing and able to do this for me and that that really means a lot that it reminds me of back in the day uh, with Vinnie Griffin the ghost I remember Vinnie Griffin used to get in my face telling me I should be on radio because I have such a unique voice but I I mean (laughs) but from my heart I I thank you because I would never think that with my speech impediment anybody would want to hear me over the radio or whatever you would consider anyone that knows
2: you uh, just doesn't notice it you know like i don't i don't notice it you
0: know No, i don't notice it at it just, all because it's the personality yeah. and that that far outweighs any if you want to call it an imperfection but uh your personality is so much larger than than these things you talk about because yeah. those things do not define you and i can tell you that me in my life i don't let you know, challenges in me physically define my yep. life. You know, it's, you can't live like that. And as you said, as you get older, you get more mature and oh, you yeah, accept absolutely. those things and you say, yeah. you know what? Everybody's got something. Exactly, so, um, yeah. But you, uh, and you can't
1: let it define you, like you said. Absolutely
0: yeah. not. Absolutely not. And you're going to find when you listen to this and when everyone else does that, uh, you're going to be so happy you did it. And I know hundreds of people, if not a thousand, will be, so happy that you did it so thank you so much
1: thank you thank you to you and soups awesome. this is us awesome. and it's great just not not i don't want to keep carrying on but it's great that i may not ride anymore but i still stay in tune with everything going on and it's great that this is taking place right now at the trails yeah, a awesome. place that held i hold so close to my yep. heart whether mm-hmm. i do it i still do it or not it's a place that is very close to my heart trails in general and to be able to do this with the two of you who have so much history with at the trails is just icing on the cake
0: oh i appreciate that and i completely agree everything that i do with this podcast is is really um, meant to be face to face and personal and on locations at locations like this because this is what brought us all together, yeah. and you know I think it's so important to do it that way. I would rather, you know, take the trip, hustle, and have this face-to-face contact in this interaction because it's it's priceless. You know, it's uh, it's great. So thank you again for doing it. It's been great, and thank you, Soups, yeah, for, for for giving truth. us the trails and just just giving yeah. so much of yourself, and uh, and you but, know, yeah, DB deserves yeah. it. You know,
2: yeah, Everyone, you know. That's- Thank you. Need to hear the DB story. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, and they will. They're going to hear the DB story. But DB thank is you. DB's iconic man. And and you uh, you thank me, but I I'm thanking you. So uh, anyway, I,
1: I can only say thank you. I mean, I really appreciate
0: it. Well, let's get the picture with our our matching yeah. base Brooklyn shirts because this is amazing that we chose to wear the same shirt today. But uh, all right, signing off.